Welcome to episode 634 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 634 of I Am Talk with Coach John Yusuf and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. How you about know, yourself? Do you know what we're we doing this week, mate? Turning on the heater? I think it's already turned on. It's on, okay. Yeah. No, we've already done that. Talking about New Zealand sport this weekend. It was a big weekend of sport. Lots of exciting things happening. And we lost everything. Other than, you know what my new favourite sport is? Triathlon. IndyCar. We won a triathlon, we won a world under 23 title. Yeah, that's that, that, that's, very that's, impressive. that was very impressive, but that's about the extent of it. We lost everything else. The All Blacks, did you watch All Blacks? I did. I didn't actually, I had it on the background. Was it a good game? It was a good game, and what I'd say is, I said to my son Thomas before we started, before the game started, I said, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to watch the rugby tonight, you know, yep. which is just going to be a downer. Because we've been so dominant, yep. Good work, South Africa. So it's, it's funny, really, isn't it? It's a bit like the Michael Schumacher problem where the All Blacks have been so dominant in the last 10 years. We're kind of like, you go back 10 years ago, South Africa beats us, the country's in an uproar. Nowadays, we're like, oh, it's good to see us lose once in a while. <laughs> I want to start with a coaching tip for this morning, Bevan. I've just oh, been we haven't out. even done sponsors. Okay, no, here we go. We've just, I've just been coming from a swim. Yep. Bands only, people. Uh, if you don't know what bands uh, only is, really, the problem really with bands only, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do an objection to yours. If you're not, if you don't have history in swimming, it's a really hard thing to do. It is a very hard thing to do. So tips with bands, so bands only, if you don't know what it is. Wait, um, wait a second, why has this took come up? Because I've just been at the pool and someone was doing bands only and I wasn't, <laughs> I wanted to stop them and say, you pull yourself together, man. Uh, so bands <laughs> only, the best method to do is get an old car tyre, which there aren't that many of these these, these days. Well, you should use a tyre. No, you don't. <laughs> in a tube, and you cut it into slices, and, the, and then that will go around your ankles, holding them together. Yep. But these days, most cars are um, and tube tubeless, yep. so you kind of can't get them. The second alternative is you get an old bike tube from um, when you get a puncture, and tie that around your ankles reasonably firmly, twice around is good, and then you go to the pool, and the objective of it is really helps you smooth out your stroke, kills out, um, identifies dead spots, really helps you work on your catch. But the key things are you've got to keep your head down, you've got to keep your stroke continuous, and you've got to go for quality rather than quantity. Also, but the most important thing is don't let your feet drop. Yes, it's Because I was basically, when I used to do it, I was swimming in an L. Mm-hmm. But so you, you want to be doing, if you're someone like Bevan who's struggling with it, you do 25 metres at a time or 25 yards at a time and have a break. The guy in my lane was doing one arm bands only, plus he had a pool boy <laughs> around his ankles lifting up. Oh, what are you doing? His form was slopping all over the place. Like, what are you doing? So if you're doing bands only, go for quality over quantity and get yourself together. Did you say anything? I did not. Did you, I got did, out of the pool and disgust. Was it consuming you the whole swim? No, it was just towards the end. Oh, good times. I swam straight into the back of him. I was like, oh, God. Uh, peasant. Uh, I am talking is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance. Your and our patrons. And let's name a few Jumbo. Richard, the Prince of Darkness, Osborne. We've got Nadine Flower I'm sorry, Flower Power Voice. Sean the Big Dipper Bonsol. Oh, how do you say that name, John? 
Leonard's The Gifted Artist, Monterio. Very good. And what I would say with a couple of, with these ones here, they are some of our original patrons. Before we even came on with patrons, when it was the sort of voluntary subscriptions. When we, basically we had four. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. So thank you, you guys, for supporting us for so long. Yeah, you guys rock the party. Okay, John, in this week's show, we've got some news. We have a hot topic of the week. We've got Coach's Corner. We've got Stats Testic. We've got Wanger of the Week. We've got questions and answers. And you've got right at the top here, Bevan is a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I just added that in before. <laughs> Just so I knew you wouldn't see it. <laughs> we're, we're going high tech today. We've transferred across to Google Docs. We were, we were using Dropbox, but often what would happen is John would do show notes, and then in the morning, I always get up at like 4 4.40 on a Tuesday morning. I do all my prep for the show then, and then John will be on the notes at the same time. So we'd cancel each other out. Yes. And so now we're in Google Docs, John can write John Bevan is a dick. Right in the moment. I know. <laughs> Amazing stuff. <laughs> the maturity is unbelievable. John, there's, there's probably two major pieces of news this week. And the first we're going to talk about ITU first. We had the World Championship finale. John, I really don't like the way they do it. In terms of the series? Um, because in both races, if the person who got second in both races, did they give up because they knew they had series? Uh, I, I think it definitely took an edge off. In, in the defeat, so so if you don't know, the World Series, eight, eight races I think it is, and the final has extra points associated with it, and you've got to do the final and get points from that. It's the difference between like the Premiership in the UK, where the soccer Premiership, where it's the best team over the year, and versus the NRL Rugby League season, where you might be the best team over the year, but you're still going to win the grand final. Yep. So I, I would definitely agree with you on many fronts, however... In particular in this race, it did make the females race a lot more interesting because the series was on the line. And so I'll explain that. So if you don't, if you haven't watched the ITU race and you do oh, want no, to... I only watched the highlight package. Fast forward. Okay, yeah. well, so this is... The women's race was fascinating. Um, not from a Kiwi perspective because we did terribly. Um, but so what the, the story was... It was a race between Vicky Holland and Katie Zaveris. Whoever finished first place out of, or in front of the other one yep. was going to be the World Series champion. Um, but as it turned out, so they all came off the bike together. The difference this time was it was a much bigger group and Ashley Gentle was in the group and she's arguably the fastest runner um, around at the moment or right on the verge of yep. doing it. So I said to Tom, when they came off the bike, I said, I reckon Ashley Gentle's going to win, and Mate, she did. And I tell you what, you just, you're more of a legend to your kid right now. <laughs> he's, still, he's still at that stage where he thinks you're a god. Five years from now, you're nothing. But that moment defines that. So the results only tell part of the story. So because it was a series was on the line, what happened was Vicky Holland took a flyer out of transition, got about a 40 metre lead, looking, and, and, and she's been running really, really well. She's won the last few races and has been on fire. So you're going, Vicky Holland's going to take this and I might have to eat my words, humble words in front of, uh, in front of Thomas. Um, but then what happened, the other two then ran up to her, caught her up, and so then they're running as a group of three. And then Katie Zaveris, who's also going for the World Series, she takes off, they drop Vicky Holland, and then Vicky Holland's, you know, 30 or 40 metres back, and you're going, oh, wow, this is, uh, wow. This is totally different. I'm still going... And, 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 and so Ashley Gentle has nothing... She can't win the World Championship Series. No, not remotely, no. But the other two are fighting it off, so yeah. it's kind of a yo-yo between those two at the moment. And so then you've got Ashley Gentle and Katie Zaveris off the front, and then Vicky Holland bridges back up, 
and then uh, that's a goodie, and then she it, pulls it? away with Ashley Gentle, and then it's the two of them going into the to, to the sort of finale, and Ashley Gentle uh, sort of surges right at the finish and wins by two seconds. So um, I agree that had that been a world championship individual race, might have been slightly different potentially. Yeah, I still probably would have backed Ashley Gentle, but I think Vicky Holland might have had a bit more mongrel on the line. Well, and in the men's race with Moller coming in second as well, you. you if that was the key race, would they fought a little bit harder? You know, because you know you've got it. And they would have structured their season slightly differently as well. So he's obviously, Mario Moller's, you know. He's won three I, years I, in a row now. It's hard to know if he was at his 100% best, but all these guys might structure their season slightly differently. And so as it turned out, um, Vincent Louis won the race, and th- he won the race last yeah. year as well. And so he's obviously structured his, Sarah, his season to try to peak a bit more for that race. He didn't do a couple of the other races. So, yeah, so I, I agree. I would much rather see a standalone um, race. And it just I don't understand why they call it World Triathlon. So instead of calling it the World Triathlon Series, it's World Triathlon. Each race is Stockholm World Triathlon. And so you're the World Triathlon Champion. You're not the World Triathlon Series Champion. Just mm. we, It used to be WTS. Um, it was weird that changed. It would have been some PR. So, yeah, somebody got paid a lot of money. Yep. So women's race was, was fantastic. That was on, on the Saturday. And, and the only reason I'm going to that is that what race, like, what race are we, is the key race of the year? Do you actually, in this way of doing it, do you see somebody have their best performance against the best field on the best day? Well, the, the, this race still is the key race of the season. Uh, everybody does come to this race. There are other events where not all of them are there. So it is still yeah, the but, strongest Yeah, but field. again, I, both of those people, was there another 2% in them that mm. they didn't go to? Yeah, no, you're not going to find any disagreements with them yeah. there. So the men's race... Uh, Jeez, over on the Gold Coast, it was very, very windy for, for all the races, and uh, it caused a bit of carnage in the swim. The, the females were saying they couldn't see the swim boys, uh, and they did come out in a very large pack. Uh, and the males, I haven't seen carnage like I did at the first turn, boy, uh, God knows for how well, just, long. Just b- it was just complete <laughs> bash up, like guys really dunking each other, swimming right over the top. Great camera work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> How about that camera work? Oh, no, that was just, uh, they were taking a beating. As a result of that, a couple of guys you could see cut under the boy and a couple didn't even go around the boy. And they get disqualified? And Alistair Brownlee was one of them. I didn't even know he was racing and he got disqualified. Oh, wow. So um, I think there was another guy that got disqualified as well. But at the end, he said, hands up. He looked at the footage and said, yep, I did it. I got punched. I got a bit disorientated and went under. So, so he said, fair call. But it was carnage around that boy. There's um, also that moment in the race where the guy came off the bike going around the corner when there was a little bit of a breakaway starting to get away, that, that was quite influential, wasn't it? It was. So as it turned out in the swim, uh, a few guys got away. There was about six or seven of them, uh, and it was a very strong group, including... Uh Including Brownlee Brown, was in there. Brownlee was yeah. in there. Lin- Vincent Louis. There was another one of the Frenchies. Uh, so it was a, it was a good strong group, and it could have had a pretty big impact on the race. I think they probably would have got away, but as it turned out, uh, Vincent Louis uh, fell off coming around one of the turnarounds, and that just screwed the screwed the brake completely. And they all came came together and, and came off the bike. Well, no, they didn't all come together. They did all come together, and then the hammerhead that is Christian Blumenfeld from <laughs> Norway just drilled it off the front again with uh, Martin Van Riel and they only got 35 seconds and you kind of knew that probably was not going to be enough. Christian Blumenfeld is a very good runner but he needs you know about a minute or so to um, to stand a chance and they only got, got 35 fifth. seconds. Still got fifth though yeah. after TTing a big chunk of the bike. So yeah, so then it came down to the run and uh, 
yeah, it was an exciting run. I really, really enjoyed it. There was, you know, four or five of them together, and then the sort of, no, well, there was about seven initially, and then they just dropped off one by one by one, and then Vincent and Louis just uh, opened a can of whoop-ass. Now, what do you pick that? You would have picked Moller normally, wouldn't you? Oh, I definitely would have picked Moller, but having said that, Vincent and Louis did the same thing last year, yep. so Moller was, as you said, Probably not quite 100%, Hungry, yeah. possibly. Uh, it's hard to know. Um, but still, Vincent Louis was impressive. Ran 29.44. You never know the accuracy, but those guys are consistently around that pace. And uh, yeah, impressive. So he took it out uh, in front of Mario Mola, Richard Murray in third place. I wonder if we could do a poll. Now, we probably can't because our listeners are more Ironman audience, but I don't know if there'd be many lovers of the sport or fans of the sport who would rather it be this way uh yes no i I agree so i wonder why they do it well then it then it forces people to do series you know then you've got you you could still have a a series bonus you can but then i I would imagine i don't know maybe people are less likely to do as many races um but no i I agree with you is you still stack the money big time for the series yeah but the title being called world champion is a one-off race yeah we've we've said i think we're just going over the same thing time and time again it does seem just i'm just not quite sure who loves it it. you know it's no different to say formula one why don't they have a one-off race potentially so i agree uh and i don't i I agree that not many other people seem to want it this way either. So what are, what are some other races over the weekend? Obviously, um, I saw the New Zealand mixed team got disqualified. Oh, God. Well, they didn't cover this. The course was, this was the under-23s. Um, and we had some great results in the under-23 males specifically. Um, we took out the men's race with uh, Taylor Reid, and we also got ninth place. How big is that? Well, we'll go into that later on because okay. that's part of my stats. Sorry, I should not. I did read Thanks, the John, yeah. the Mountain Snail Hancock. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't realise until fairly late in the piece they had an under-23 mixed relay. It came down to a sprint finish between New Zealand and France. I think it looked like we just got pipped on the line. Yeah, we did. We, yeah, but did. we also got disqualified. And I, I'm not, it says for... Cutting the course. Step, stepping outside the course. So I'm not quite sure what that means. Um, whether... Yeah, I'm just not Maybe quite it's sure. cutting a corner onto a street path or something. Yeah, I th- I, you'd have to think it'd be pretty minor infraction. So, mm. so very disappointing for New Zealand because um, it's disappointing for the team, but also disappointing. It probably would have helped our funding quite a bit. So, oh, true, uh, yeah. Um, also, you know, it was a massive age group festival over there with uh, loads of racing. They had a sprint distance race, uh, and I would encourage people, if you're, if you're not a complete munter swimmer and you're looking at going to world champs, a sprint distance race would be awesome to get a, get a piece of. And then you can't come away bitching and moaning that, oh, there's been drafting here, there, and it wasn't a fair race. It, it is a fair race. Uh, so I would have, if, if I was going to go to ITU Worlds, definitely go to the sprint distance. Probably do potentially what a lot of people did at this race they did the sprint and they also did the olympic um but uh i definitely very much focus on the on the sprint get get amongst the, the draft legal side of things um interesting in the uh in the age group sprint race first overall on the female side of things was uh michelle dylan michelle dylan who's a former world duathlon champion at the elite level she's oh, okay. 45 to 49 so all the youngies got taken out by a 45 to 49 year old nice um, fastest on the male side fastest age group as were in the 16 to 19 years uh luke harvey was uh, the fastest over the sprint distance so um so yeah, sprint sounded like it was all good um the olympic was on the on the sunday i know i should turn my phone off bevan but yeah. it could, could be important bevan could probably be important. isn't probably not <laughs> um <laughs> 
so they had the Olympic and I was I was I put a post on our Facebook page just to sort of see what people's reaction was and I was expecting people to be scathing saying there was widespread drafting and it was horrific um, because it was a completely flat course they had massive numbers out there but there's not many people complaining so and some people saying at their stage of the race it was fairly well spread out a little bit congested so I've got to say well done to ITU in terms of the feedback I've had thus far is that it sounded like it was you know there's still some grouping together, probably was some drafting, depended a little bit on what time of the day you were racing, but it sounds like they actually managed to spread things out, which is uh, which is great. So, and that, you know, really mixed feedback, and I, I put this post, I said, uh, who raced ITU Worlds over the weekend, what was the experience like, much drafting in the Olympic or well managed, and most people said uh, it was okay, poor old uh, gal Harvey, Harvey Haywood, she uh, didn't have the most enjoyable time and got a drafting penalty, and questioned it when, uh, to the person that handed it out, and because she had a 10 meter gap and he said it needs to be 12 meters and the rule was actually 10 meters oh really <laughs> so he was working off the Ironman rules <laughs> instead of the ITU rules so she was not a happy camper um, a few other people said uh, Neil Miller said I thought it was a well run event and fair race unlike the same venues in 2009 where there was no real evidence of drafting in big groups during my race I thought the officials were good issuing warnings before taking action obviously with that many competitors not everyone will have the same experience but no different from any other big race I've been to World Champs is a great big dress up for all us uh, to pretend we would like to be at the Olympics it's not real but age group racing will never be because we aren't elites and never will be it's the very best of amateur sport as long as you don't take it too seriously and remember to enjoy meeting and racing people from 30 plus countries I had a blast it's good attitude isn't it I will have one other um, post here um, and this was in reply to Gail's um, not such enjoyable experience Stephen Bradley uh, said I'm surprised you didn't know what you were getting in for it's an age group festival which pays for the elite race which is the actual world champs if you can accept that it's an awesome week of triathlon festival but um, but it is what it is and I think that's the way if you're going to a race where you know it's going to be a flat course whether it be 70.3 worlds whether it be ITU worlds you do have to have a bit of a think about what you're getting yourself in for and the potential of drafting potential of slower athletes if you're a real serious full-on athlete um, potentially getting in your way there's going to be lots of people there's going to be queues there's probably going to be uniform issues your national body remember they might have a couple of employees trying to look after about bloody three or four hundred people so you kind of got to take all that on board when you're going into especially in ITU worlds which is a team environment as opposed to perhaps say 70.3 or Kona which you very much there on your own so you kind of got to embrace it all take a chill pill and uh and try to lap it all up good times uh john the next piece of news which is, is really devastating for us fans of the sport is that Frodo is out of coda it is That's really so apparently he's got a shin splint um which is just a bit heartbreaking to be honest because i was so looking forward to the, him being here this year and uh and it Definitely takes some, makes in some ways you could say it make, maybe makes the race a bit more interesting, um, but what a bummer! Yeah, I think it's really disappointing on lots and lots of levels. Yeah. Because firstly for him, obviously you know he's in amazing shape, raging hot favourite, and would add to his. I mean, he's already going to go down as a legend. Well, if we think about that goat thing, if he came back and won this year and maybe next year, mm. that you know that. Phew, 
he'd, be, he'd be the god, not the goat. He'd yeah. be the god. Uh, and so really, obviously disappointing for him. Disappointing for us as fans because I think we could have seen an incredible display and it would have forced everybody else to lift their game and maybe take some risks. Um, but also disappointing for whoever does end up winning. They're still going to be pumped. They're going to oh. be over the moon. But you are going to have in the back of your mind, I won, but the best athlete wasn't here. Are you? Uh, yeah, I reckon you would. I remember Keenlay saying somewhere, somewhere he won a race, yeah, but Jan wasn't here. Or something like that. Or I can't remember where it was. Um, I think it would only be very, very minor. Yeah, it wouldn't bother me. It wouldn't, yeah. I don't think it would upset them, but it would still be in the back of your mind, oh, yeah, but the best guy wasn't there. Yeah. But Which is really unfortunate. But, but my argument would be the best guy's your job's to get there. If you're not there, it's not my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, but I am gutted because it's like, how good was he at that 70.3? Mm. You know, and that was that was that was one of the best races in long course we've seen in years of you know, field and quality of performance. Mm. And he, he he smacked it to legends of the sport. Um and so to not have him there definitely just puts a bit of a chink in the armour of this year's race. And um it's still gonna be fascinating. It, in many ways it makes it even more interesting. Oh, opens it up completely, yeah. I reckon. Yeah, it really does. Because Gomez is still untested. Mm-hmm. Sanders, you got Langer. You, you know, it's going to be a pretty fascinating race. Because mm. um, I think you know, for those for those bikers, for them to get potentially be twenty minutes in front of Langer off the bike is not out of the question. You know, yeah. they've, they've been fifteen or so before, but for them to get an, a, a lead in front of Frodo if he's on good form, that's big enough. If he's running really well, I think it'd be a really hard ask. But now, yeah, I just think it opens up the door completely for the for for so many athletes. So, yeah, I think it's going to make for a more exciting race. And also, you know, Fredino's thirty seven now, mm. so you know, like really losing a year now. Oh yeah, you know, because probably what Harold Crowe is thirty eight, thirty nine when he had that really amazing performance. So really, if we're going based on history, Fredino's got probably another couple. Yeah, two years. Mm. You know, at max, especially because of what we see coming through, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, just going back to the to dry to use, anyone coming through that you thought, wow. Well, I'm just generally excited from a New Zealand perspective because we had uh, first and ninth in the under 23s. We had a bit of a dis- couple of disappointings in the under 23 females. We are uh, our less uh, than. Um, God, I can't remember the name now. Uh, Van Van whatever her name is she only got fourth I thought she was going to potentially get right get get a medal um, that was disappointing uh, so anybody coming through and uh, no, it was it was generally the 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 the, the usual pretenders yep. I still think that the French girl who finished in second place in the under 23s Cassandra Bogrand she won earlier this season seems to be a bit up and down and doesn't quite seem to be able to pull it together over the Olympic distance when she's on fire she's just going to absolutely trounce everybody um but whether or not she can do that on a consistent basis is going to is yet to be seen. So she's probably the number one to watch out for. Okay, some other results we had over the weekend. We had Challenge Davos. Yep, Sven Reeder took that out. I think it was first race of the season by about 30 seconds over Peter Hemmerich, who's been a, a well-performed uh, athlete uh, over the half distance this season. And Lima Berlinger from Germany took out the females race. We had the 70.3 in Nice, and it's going to be the World Championship course next year, and it looks like it's going to be a pretty tough championship course. It's going to be great. So we had uh, the old sledgehammer, um, Mark Settler, did the race, and it's got 1,400, well, it says it's got 1,400 metres of elevation. His Garmin actually said 1,800 metres, um, but uh, I'd probably go with the 1,400, 1,800 over a, over a uh, half distance is a lot. Uh, so it should be a really good, honest course. It's a, it's an ocean swim, which is which 
is cool, potentially a bit of swell, um, but the bike course is going to be nice and hilly and uh, and a great flat run on uh, just a big open, um, the Promenade des Anglais, uh, and it's just a cool location. So if you are looking for 70.3 worlds next year, it's going to be an honest course. I guess the only concern I've got with it now, there's so many people on the course, is descending. Um, there's likely to be fairly long, potentially technical descents, uh, and that could get you get you into a little bit of sp- a little bit of bother if you're passing some slower athletes if they're not keeping to the side. But that being said, I think it'll be a, it'll be a great race. I mean, Italy isn't the second I, I, year. I oh. There's just a couple of Torsten, good old Torsten, sent through a couple of other results. Uh, Challenge Isakanda, which is over near it's in Malaysia, just next to Singapore. Matt Burton from Australia took that out, and Beth McKenzie took out the females race. Okay, we've got I mean, Italy coming up, second year running, and uh, what's the field like there, John? Is it a good field? Uh, let me just let me yeah, just uh, confirm with my wrong, notes I'll here. Put it the wrong site. Sorry. Here we go. Try rating. Here we go. Try rating. Ironman Italy. So it's the second year running. Uh, Andreas Dreitz took it out last year, um, and the field is looking. Lucy Gossage took out the females race. You know, so it's interesting now. Big field. Yeah. So we've got Andy Boucherer who has not qualified for Kona. Great move, going out there, try to get his Kona slot sorted right now. He wins the race, doesn't have to worry about points. So the real advantage for those... Um, and he's, he's significantly top. faster than everyone else. Oh, he's expected to come in 13 minutes in front of Jesper Sevenson and then Christian Hugenhau. So a lot of these guys I'm really not that familiar with. Um, we've got Guido Malari, um, uh, Alonso McKerna in there. Uh, so there are some, some, some good athletes, <laughs> but you've got to say that um, Andy Boucher should... He's like 50 male pro. It's cray-cray. Yeah, great, great. Uh, and uh, on the females side, you've got again an athlete who didn't qualify for Kona, but she won rote when we were over there yeah. with a fantastic performance. Um, Daniela Seemler uh, is expected to come in seven minutes in front of Camilla Peterson, and Nikki Bartlett's expected to come in in third based off uh, Torsten's ratings. Uh, so, you know, not seeing any ITU athletes um, entering. That's always what I kind of look out for down the bottom of the pages on Torsten's ratings. He has everybody ranked based off their um, previous performances, and the 40th ranked male in the professional field is expected to come in in 11 hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. Hopefully, a little bit quicker than that if you're professional. That's right, uh, sharpen up. <laughs> so, yeah, look out for Italy this weekend. Uh, just some other random races, Jumbo. We have indeed. Now, I, I, I'm, we've got the Bear Man Extreme. In the uh, in the Pyrenees in in France, uh, looking at last year's results, they had a few teams there, but they, then they had the the first male was Sam Laidlow, and he took twelve hours and seven minutes. It was a forty eight minute swim, seven hours and nineteen on the bike, and a three fifty nine on the run. So it's again, it's another one of these extreme races where the bike course is just nut bar hard. It's uh, very much self-supported both on the bike and the run uh, and so I think that's the one way that these events can survive is when you make them self-supported it takes out a massive massive cost for you a it's your responsibility to know the course and b you haven't got to put up any aid stations yeah and that just rips a massive amount of your cost out of the race I'm sure they still probably have to have some sort of traffic management plan or something like that but if you don't actually have to have but also volunteers police. just oh, you know the, the planning around it is a lot less isn't it yeah so um, the bike the bike the bike is 180 kilometres with 4,700 metres of altitude that is a lot like 
there's a massive amount of climbing. So uh, a lot of the coals they go over are not necessarily um, the infamous Tour de France clock climbs. It's sort of uh, so, but it'll be a beautiful part of the country. So check it out, bearmanxtry.com. Uh, and what else we got coming up this weekend, Bill? I've just got to pull up my little page here. A few other little non-WTC races. Come on, Paige. Come on, Paige. While you're talking about that, I'll talk about some other news. Wanda Sports Holding Company, which is Ironman, are pleased to announce the launch of a new race that will be joining their European Ironman Series portfolio in 2019. Uh, Victoria, I'm going to say Gazez, in the best country in Spain. Uh, the inaugural event will take place on Sunday, the 14th of July, 2019, with race registrations opening on the 24th of September. So um, it was an established race. Um, and it just, it's another race I men have taken over, basically. Yeah, it's a bit of a head-scratcher for me. So I'd love a head-scratcher? I'd love to know the inside goss on this because a lot of the instances we see when Ironman are taking over races these days, it tends to be the taking over races that are possibly going to fall over if they don't. And so they've got, they've got an established audience, but it's not ginormous. Um, and so we saw that maybe with the, uh, the Rev series of the recent races that they took over. Pre- prior to that, we saw them taking over challenge races, I think, to get that competitive advantage. Yep. But in this case, so the Triathlon of Vittoria uh, is a well-established race. Really good numbers. Um, I sort of looked through that they have a half, they have a full, and had like a 1,000 or so in the, in the full, plus a lot in the half. So I'm thinking... They don't need Ironman. They've got a, a massive um, right. size field as it is. So I do wonder if either Ironman came knocking and gave them an offer they couldn't refuse, or perhaps the people that are organising it had had enough and didn't want to do it anymore, and that's their way of potentially cashing up and making and also making sure that it carries on. I think the unfortunate thing for all the people that, are, that have done this race is, yeah, it'll look. I'm sure it'll look a lot different when they do it next year, but also, you know, the entry fee I looked at last year was 360 euros, and now more likely to be, you know, over 500 euros, so there's going to be a significant price increase in the entry level. And I just think it's a shame that the race isn't carried on and we need these independent races we need challenge races um, otherwise just going to become a massive monopoly but I think we have to be cautious not to put the boot into Ironman straight away because that, hey, you know, hey, the yeah. triathlon at this rate most might have come knocking and said hey do you want to buy it well it is business mm. you can't you, you, we know we have to challenge mm. that was a bit you had to give the boot then yep um, but when, when you know like it is business mm. you know and, and that's <laughs> I, I, I don't feel too bad about these ones. You've, you've got here, so a couple of new events. Oh, so that means now, so uh, when we talked to Russell was 40 um, races, a few weeks it? ago, he said, you know, that it's, it's kind of stabilised a bit. And this is the second new event uh, that's come up recently. So we've now got the new race in Ironman Island, <laughs> uh, which will be this time next year, roughly. No, a bit earlier. It's in July. Uh, and now another one. So it'll be interesting to see if they do keep expanding with iron distance races. Seems like it's more and more 70.3s, but whether there's more Ironman, so we have to wait and see. Well, one piece of news for the 7.3s is that Ironman announced, that, uh, announced today that a total of 500 additional women will earn an invitation to race at the 19, sorry, 2019 Ironman 7.3 World Championships taking place in Nice, France. Uh, slots will be awarded to top finishing female athletes at 20 selected races worldwide. The additional slots will be utilised for Women for Try, which was launched in 2015 by Ironman and welcomed and empowered new female triathletes to be a part of the sports continuing growth and high level competition. Now, this next bit's pretty interesting. 
interesting. Or proceed, uh, or See, this is the, the cynic in me, and the cynic in a lot of people would have read that part and just gone, oh, blah, 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 this is just a way to get more money and get more people on the wait, line. there's more. Uh, all net proceeds from the registration revenue from the additional 500 slots will go towards supporting Women's for Triathlon Tri-Club Grant Program. To date, nearly 250000 has been awarded to this program to tri-clubs around the world to support women engaging in initiatives, um, including bringing first-timers into the sport. Since its inception in 2015, Women's for Tri has seen an 18% increase in female participation in Ironman and Ironman 70.3 events, totaling to more than 66,000 female athletes globally. So actually, they've done pretty well. Yeah, so... And, and I know your club's got money from it, haven't it? Yes, yes. So it's it's an interesting one because you kind of... It's not necessarily Iron Man handing out the money. They're sort of taking... They're getting these entry fees and then they're redistributing it. So it's not like it's coming out of their coffers or their pro- their profits or anything like that. So I think... It but is, having 500 more slots will cost them more. Well, but it's net proceeds that they're handing over. Oh, okay. So okay. say, yep. for example, yep. it costs you $500 to enter the race. Then it, them then it might be in, 200 yeah. that goes towards this program. So... I think you know the number of ways of looking at this is if if doing this is proven to get more people and women into the sport, it's fantastic. Well, and it's working. Look, eighteen percent increase since two thousand and fifteen. Now, how much is that? Can we say it's woman for try? But that can't hurt what they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Eighteen percent's so, massive in four yeah. years. But whether or not that's just because they've taken over more races, it's kind of hard to. No, but if we look at Russell's stats a few weeks ago, proportion to yeah, oh, maybe yeah. yeah. But anyway. It's it's on the up. You can't. That, that, that's great. So I think it's it's a good initiative. The the one thing when I because when I initially read the first paragraph and I didn't read this part about um, this, I'm sort of thinking, what females get really stiffed at Ironman races qualifying for Kona. So for example, if there's 40 slots or 50 slots or whatever it is, there's one per age group for both males and females across all the age groups, and then most of the rest of the slots will go to the males because it's done on a pro rata basis, yep. especially in Europe. Sometimes in America, there's a few more females, so some of the, the age groups get a couple of slots. However, at the um, most, at a lot of 70.3 races, there's only 30 slots, which is more or less one per age, per group, age yeah. group so yep. a lot of 70.3s it's fair for males and females so this is kind of at those races swinging the balance on the other side saying females are getting more slots than, than males um, there are other races that do have more slots at them some have 50 towards 75 slots for 70.3 worlds and so this will and if, if they're allocated to those events it will even up the ledger so and, and you could argue it's actually going to be easier for females to get to world championships based mm. on this now. Yeah. You know, if we go proportion, like Russell's stats, I can't remember what female participation was, but it was quite low in comparison to men. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, A, if they get more slots, 500 more slots, then in theory, that means it's easier for a female to get to the world championships. So, uh, yeah, there's lots of positivity to this. I mean, but it still does boil down to, I think, not just females, but across the board, they, I think they should have less people at the World Championships, not more. And I would like to see the, the quality, you know, in terms of having to meet a percentage time come in. But at the end of the day, I think there's a lot more positive things to this than the negative. There's going to be more money being uh, dished out to females in the sport. What did your club do with the grant you guys got? Uh, working on it. Okay. okay work in progress. <laughs> work in progress. Um, because it is... A, you know, like it is one of the problems for the sport there, how male-dominated it is. Um, and so things like this. So basically, how much have they invested a year since 2015? So about three years. So they're investing, you know, kind of 80,000 a year, mm. which which I suppose when you say globally is not a huge amount, but 
you know, if, if better than what it was. Yeah, it is. We've got an 18% increase. So, um, good on him. Um, John's ITU update. We've, we know the course, John, to the to the World Championships. No, the Olympic oh, sorry, Games. The Olympic Games. And interestingly, they're not going to have it as a part of the ITU series the year before. Uh, so this is the same that we did uh, Tim the Hemming. Pr- prior to 2016. So Tim Hemming uh, popped this through. It has been distributed on other media, but Tim got it to us, boom, before it even came out. Is his nickname the Informer? Sorry? Is he the Informer? What's his nickname? It might be the Informer. Informer. Anyhow, so the Tokyo course is going to be flat, which is a bit of a disappointment. But yeah, it is what it is. Uh, but yeah, similar to what they did before Rio, they will have a test event one year before on the course, but uh, won't be part of the series, and that's the same that applied in Rio. Uh, also, everybody will turn up though, and um, they did turn up in Rio as well. Just a shame it's not part of the series. But they're pan, pan flat, pancake flat. So you never know. So, uh, Different things are happening at different races, you know. At the moment, you know, you are getting some breakaways on the bike, so there is a potential both in the male and females for for, for groups to potentially get away. Um, I'm not too phased; it's not part of the series. I think part of the reason for that is the the cities have to pump up a lot of money to to put on uh, oh, okay. an event for to be part of the series. And if Tokyo is pumping huge money into the Olympics, yeah, it might well. Enough. We don't necessarily need it, and I, and I think that's probably the reason why it didn't happen. Yep. Um, we've also been announced that the next couple of world championships uh, for Olympic distance have been announced. So next year it's in Lausanne, we, we knew that. But then in the subsequent years after that, it's going to be going to Bermuda and Abu Dhabi. Bermuda so, be cool. Um, Bermuda will be interesting. They did include a hill in the course this year, which made it quite tricky. Uh, Abu Dhabi will no doubt be a flat race, but yeah, certainly going away from some of the tr- more traditional bases for world championship races. John, hmm. um, yeah. good times. I was going to say, she's done looking at our Facebook page for a discussion of the week. So let's go into that right now. Discussion of the week, John. So we were basically thinking about. If you could get three people of similar ability and try to smash out the fastest time you can do an Ironman, but it's not within traditional rules, so you can do you know twenty meters of a swim each, you know if, if you <laughs> wanted to, be. probably not the wisest strategy, yeah. but you could. So you can just chunk it up wherever you see wisest to get the fastest result you can get in in, in an Ironman race. How would you go about doing it? And uh, we've got we've got some, some answers. We've got we've, we've got, got some well thought answers and, at times. Uh, so. Jeremy Hopwood, he said, uh, he's the Canadian. Uh, do the f- one athlete does the whole swim. Athlete two does 30Ks of the ride. Athlete three does 30Ks of the ride. Athlete two does 30Ks of the ride. Athlete three does 30Ks of the ride. So he's basically broken into to segments. But the one that, and athlete two and three, they do most of the ride. And the guy who did, or the guy or girl who did the swim, only does 30 kilometers of the ride. And then they split the run up uh, fairly fairly evenly, doing 3K segments at a time. Okay, good old uh, Jesper von Seelen has got, divide the swim into 300 meter intervals, bike into 5K intervals, and the run to 1.2 or 2K intervals, and then alternate between the three throughout the race. Uh, Rob Gray, athlete one swims, then all three ride. Oh, he's gone out of the box here. He's got athlete one thrim, swims, then all three uh, ride together strategy. with one and two taking turns pulling three. I didn't. Cl- I did, did not specify 
if you could draft hey, or there not. There are no rules. The rules are. There yeah. ain't no rules. But I, d- I thought maybe I said it was supposed to be a real ace. So anyway, since this is hypothetically, I'm assuming that drafting I is I like fine. his thinking. Then number three runs 21Ks, and number one and two run 10Ks each. Oh, I don't like his running strategy. I think the bike strategy is good. Mm. I think there's a faster way to run, mm. you know, if you know what I mean. Um, Nicholas Brown... Uh, you need a boat and a van to get athletes and bikes ahead of the current relay competitor, which is true. Uh, as soon as the boat van in front of the athletes swap, so basically swim 13 times 300, 18 times 10k bikes, and then 42 1k splits. Oh. Mm. So you're basically running about what 42 divided by three is about what 13, 14, 15k. So you're going to be doing 1k splits of oh, yeah, that's hard running. Uh, Craig Miskin says athlete one does uh, half of the swim athlete two does the other half and then they're doing sort of 20k stints each on the the bike so athlete three does the first 20ks and then just repeat that through and then uh, then oh, I don't see um, I think some on the run sort of doing five kilometer segments and then 20k bike is short enough to go full beans with some time period um, of 40k while the other two athletes are riding to recover. Same process through the run, you're doing sort of 5k at a time. Okay, Dave Thompson, he's got, he's got a good strategy. I think I would do an all Kiwi team. Curry for the swim, me for transition. Alan for the bike, me for transition. And then Brown for the run. <laughs> nice work. John. Anyone else who we missed anyone? Because I think we show. got most of them. Uh, other than Thomas O'Quirk, he would go first so he could get drunk. That's good. It's a good strategy. Mm. Very good. Jumbo, you're, what would you do? So I reckon uh, you need to do stints that are long enough um, that you can go hard enough, but not so long that your recovery between them, you've got to totally get going again. So I'd say for the swim, I'd probably just divide it into thirds. So you'd do, you know, one point. Two one point three k's each through through the. Oh swim. really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, and then on the bike. So then you would get about like a, fifteen to twenty minute. Or, or well, you probably get a forty or thirty minute rest. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bike, I'd probably do um, sort of, yeah, you know, fifteen to twenty k's each, and just swap around those. Oh, you reckon? Yeah. Not even shorter. No. Uh, and then the run, I think that. Probably just a couple of guys have suggested they're sort of doing 5Ks uh, at a time. Now, I think this would be a totally different proposition if you had a four-man team. If you had a four-man team, and that wasn't part of this, but I'm going to bring it into the equation. You've changed the rules completely. Then I reckon you just go on-off, two two people on-off, and so you might do 10Ks on the bike, on and then 10k's off 10k's on 10k's off so you sort of then you and then you swap around at halfway that's how i do it if it was a four-man team but that wasn't part of the question it was three-man team bevan how would you do it you'd probably just go screw the other two i'm just doing the whole thing and i wouldn't doubt it harry doubt it harry um i think you're a shorter i i, I think you're probably gonna go about four to five hundred meters on the swim mm-hmm. because if you do a, how long does it take you to do four five hundred meters well let's say six minutes seven, seven six to eight and how long does it take you to do 12 1300 um 15 well, no, if you're doing 1,000, you're doing 15, 15 minutes-ish. Ballpark. So you're going to fast, well, swim faster. Mm. It's about the preservation bit, isn't it? But the swim and the bike, you can do hard intervals, and it's not going to kill you. Mm. So I think in the swim and the bike, you've got to do hard intervals. And then in the run, you are probably better off to do a slightly longer block. So in the swim and the bike, I'd be saying 400 meters on the swim. Get in, smash yourself. Mm. Because you're not really damaging yourself, and you're probably going to get about... A ten to twelve minute rest, so you can get out, get your heart rate down, sit in the boat for a second, and then same again on the bike. On the bike, you're probably doing five k TTs, mm. five to ten k TTs max. Um, get in, smash yourself, plenty of recovery. But then the run, I'd probably say 
probably be able to 4K split. I just think it would be an amazing exercise to do because I didn't really give it too much thought. I just thought I thought that up on the spot. But you've got to remember, so we're going on about this. You're going to be doing hard efforts for eight hours on and off, on and off for eight yeah. hours. And, you, and, and in that, you're probably doing, what, three and a half hours of hard efforts or three hours of, you know, of hard efforts. So we just done three. Very, very hard. And like, uh, well, that's the thing. Do you think you'd be more sore doing a third of an Ironman that way than doing an Ironman by yourself? Mm. I think you'd probably be more, more sore from doing this, especially yeah. from the running. You know, you're going to be running a lot harder. The running's a hard thing. Mm. Yeah. But just it's that whole warming up again. So you do your whatever it is, whether you do 10K, 20K, whatever on the bike, but you've done that and then you've got to keep ready. You've got, you know, you got your next two guys, you've got quite a long time before you do your next Well, one. what you need in your setup gear is you need a truck and trailer unit yes. that's got um, stationary bikes in stationary the back. Stationary bikes on the back. Mm. Yep. So there you go. And, on the, and a treadmill. Yeah. Just a light treadmill so you can be yes. walking. Yeah. So we've and got an, a an, an, an endless pool. An endless uh, pool on, on, on in, your, in your uh, boat. On your boat. On my launch. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, so we're setting us up next year for our race, guys. The entry fee is 100000 each, yes. so, so come see us afterwards. This week's discussion is an interesting one because um, who sent us through, John? Oh, I can't remember. I think, I think you've got actually got in the show notes here. Good old Ian, give me more. Um, he sent through an article from an Irish newspaper from an, an – it's actually, it's actually pretty good. Irishtimes.com. And uh, the, the – I was pulling it up here. The author of the article is a guy by the name of Brian O'Connor. And he, he's the, the title is, How Bored Do You Have to Be to Think Iron Man is a Good Idea? So he went and spectated at a race in Ireland. I think it was a 70.3. And and then sort of just wrote this article going, how do you people, how, how, much, how do you well, have time on your hands? And why? And why do you go and do this Iron Man sport? Uh, so maybe, so... Have a read of the article, and then really what I'm just looking for is what's your response angle, to this article? Yeah, no, it is an interesting article. That's why we included it. Yep. So what's your response to, to this article? If anybody knows Brian O'Connor, which I'm highly unlikely, although you never know in this world, let us know because we should get him on. <laughs> get, him, get him on, get him to ask him how he feels about Say, do one before you judge one, mate. <laughs> do it before you judge it. Okay, so that's so... He, we'll, he, he, no, so people who aren't going to read the article, he still was respectful of the achievement and why people were doing it, but he was more, how the hell do you people justify it Justify in it in terms of A, making the time, and the, the opportunity costs with other things you could be doing with your life. So one thing um, John put up on Facebook this week was just suggestion for Kona interviews when we're over there, because we'd like to get them organized before we go, but he was just wondering if anybody knows Sarah True. So if you know Sarah True, can you just flick us an email so we can get in contact with her for interviews in Kona? Yeah, and any other um, age groupers especially, you know, so I'll have the pros I want to get uh, on. Also, a number of people suggested which pros I'd like to hear from, but we do like to hear from... A mix. From, from the real deal age groupers who've got jobs, got families, and figure out a way to, to make it all happen whilst keeping it real, um, I would like to hear from some of them. So if you've got any suggestions, either email them through or put them on our Facebook page, and we can uh, catch up with as many as we can. And I will also put something on our Facebook page this week, about if uh, if there's enough people keen to do the wetsuit aquathon, I'm keen to do it. But as long as we get you know a good ten or so people that are they're up for the challenge, okay. And also, if you have the contact details of the person you're suggesting, yes, that'd be really helpful as well. Okay, John, sponsor Extreme Endurance. Do you know what it is, John? It's your lactic buffer, and they've got done a number of studies um, to sort of ascertain what the hell extreme endurance actually does because we get so much good feedback um, from from myself from listeners who really have found it to be incredibly beneficial one of the little studies they did they got the director of school of kinesiology uh, Jason 
Oh, Solia MS. He's got lots of letters after his name yep, um, from the University of Louisiana. Uh, and what they found with their he double conducted blind, a double blind placebo controlled study crossover study oh. assessed the total effects of extreme endurance during exercise. They found. 26% reduction in lactic acid, 39% reduction in oxidative stress, and a six times lowering of CK levels. The other thing with it, they've also had it uh, Lifespan International, which is basically the company that makes extreme endurance, with the first US sports nutrition company to get the LGC Sports Science Certification Program, Informed Choice and Informed Sport, which basically means that they are tested for banned substance, substances and receive certification by both Informed Choice an informed sport so you take it and you don't need to be stressing that you're doing anything uh, untoward uh, and in these days when age groupers can get tested as well as the pros uh, pretty handy to have that on board it is indeed John because remember don't the promo cheat. code uh, I am talk 20 if you want to go to xendurance.com or any of the European sites uh, that gives you a 20% discount so get amongst it Okay, three, two, one, coaches corner. corner. Jombo, you want to talk about heart rates and why heart rate still matters. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've seen in the last period of time is that pace has really changed the way we train with running, mm-hmm. power definitely with cycling. And we're starting to see power come into the running game, although it's still very early days. But we are starting to see power become a bit more of a, a tool that we can use in influencing training. Um, but you're kind of saying, ultimately... This does not mean that heart rate doesn't matter. Yeah, I think people are these days uh, dangerously ignoring heart rate um, when they're going out and racing. So all good and well to have your power zones and have your pace zones that you want to try to hit. hit and you should have a zone um, rather than a, an exact number you're going to focus on. But it's critically important that you actually know what's going on with your heart rate. And so if your body's not responding for whatever reason on the day, that is a backstop to tell you, hey, I'm going a little bit too hard here. Conversely, it might also tell you that you're going a little bit too easy, um, especially later on in the bike, for example. So a little while ago I discussed, um, uh, we had an email in around maximum heart rate and how to set your zones, and so I've sort of already gone over how to do that based off your either some lab testing or going out and doing some time trials or doing some maximum heart rates getting your baselines uh, sort of set up in terms of estimations based off uh, sort of shorter efforts and then you need to go out there and look at your heart rate in previous races. So hopefully you guys have got some some data on previous events. You might have worn your heart rate monitor and just gone and you just go whatever, I don't know what the hell that data sort of means but what you want to do is go back and look at the races where you've potentially blown up on the run and where you potentially had a really good strong run and look at what your heart rate was when you were going through the bike ride and and so then you can sort of start to get an idea of okay I know that if I average heart rate of 145 for example in a, in a half Ironman I've, I've shown that I can get off the bike and run really really well conversely you might be able to look at another file and go okay I can see there I was I started at 155 and held 150 and then faded on the run so you hopefully if you've got some data there, you can go back and look at what impact the bike has had on your run and start to get a bit of a feel for um, basically having a heart rate threshold. So what I'd suggest to people, if you're riding to power, is yes, you have your power numbers, and that's what you want to start your, your ride at, and then have heart rate sitting in the background as a more of a limiter to make sure that you're not going too hard. So you might think, right, 
I'm riding 200 watts for this Ironman and that's what my training is telling me I can do. Um, but if you're riding 200 watts and your heart rate is 5 to 10 beats above what you know is sustainable, then you're probably going to encounter some difficulty either on the bike ride or later on in the run. So I guess the, um, you know, the end goal is, is you've got a heart rate number acting in the background as a limiter and also as a really low level that you know that if it's that low, you can take a bit of a risk later on in the bike ride. Um, look back at some of your training data. Really important to look at some of your long sessions. And for example, say you might go out and ride for 100 miles and you might do or 100, 150 kilometres and you might do, say, 100 kilometres of that at your target um, power. Then go back and have a look at actually what happened to your heart rate as you went through that session. So you might ride that 100 kilometres at your 200 watts, which is your Ironman power, and watch what your heart rate does. It might start at 130 and it might finish at 155. So you can see this quite gradual increase in heart rate. So then you know that if you're in a race setting and your heart rate's getting up towards 150 early in the bike ride, you might need to button off. So I guess the thing is, I just wanted to get across, use your heart rate monitor, look back at your old race data, Start implementing it into some of your long key sessions and look for sort of trends to make sure that you've got a bit of a backstop on race day. And it, it, but it's not the main guide. It's just it's it's a kind of a gauge to help you not go too crazy. Exactly, and you know, getting your heart rate down early in the bike ride. Um, so what most people will experience is their heart rate is potentially a bit high coming out of the swim, not always, um, then you need to try to get that heart rate down and you generally expect it to just gently rise throughout the bike ride. So for me, for example, my heart rate might be say high 120s early in the bike ride by the time the day's worn up and I'm starting to get a little bit more tired, by the time I finish it might be 135 and, I, and that's sort of my number I don't go across. If I'm riding along at my desired power early on and then my heart rate's 140, I'm going I'm in a bit of shit here and I'm just going to have to button off the power a little bit. So when you say that, you say you come off the swim, heart rate's normally up a little bit high, your first job is to get it down. You do that even when you have to go under your power zones? Yep, totally. And and some, some strategies you could use there is if it's a, a hillier course, is really try to go into complete relaxation when you're on the downhills and that'll really bring your heart rate down quite sharply. So for example, say you were doing Challenge Wanaka when it was a full, you might just freewheel some of those downhills completely relaxed, you lose a little bit of time, but then you can force your heart rate to come down quite quickly. Uh, similarly, say you were doing um, Ironman Hawaii, you know, you've got a few ups and downs around there early on, you might just completely relax and just try to get that heart rate down and then settle back in. So it's, it's always, the, you know, um, pros and cons about what you're doing, you're going to lose a little bit of time there and if you're one of those guys that's worried you're going to miss the, the bike bunk, the bike um, group, then you kind of got to just trade things off a little bit. For most of us who are going to be doing an individual effort, then that trade off of losing 10 to 15 seconds on a downhill to get that heart rate down, you're probably going to gain that back later on. Mm -hmm. Okay, because that takes a bit of discipline and control, oh, isn't it? It's hard to think, well, my wattage says I should be here, but my heart's saying here and... No different to say doing the run walk, you know. Um, so you're three k's into a, a marathon running race if you're doing a standalone, and if you're doing the run the run walk, you're walking and you're fresh as a daisy. You're going, what the hell? And everybody's looking. You're going, what the hell? So you just got to have the confidence that you're, uh, you know, it's a race from A to B, not from uh, A to you know halfway yeah. between A and B. That's interesting stuff. Okay, well, if you listen to Newsom, that's that's when you're saying. Listen to the Newsom. Listen to the Newsom. He put the other in there, but we'll go with it. Listen to the Newsom. Okay. Ah, uh, statistic. It's fantastic. Thanks for backing me up there. Um, so this week we're going to look at what have been two the top, things. Two things. First of all, what has been the top five 
all the top runs in Kona in the last five years. Um, and then also we're going to look at conversion of under three world championship athletes. Under in, 23, not under three. Under three, because the under three is really they, impressive. They, they crawl for <laughs> two hours. They're pretty crap in this swim. Um, but under 23 world championships who go on to be good athletes. And, and we're, we're a bit influenced by this one because Taylor Reed won the, new, un, the world under three championships last weekend. So we crawl fast, man. Hey, man, did you see that crawl? Yeah. Man, that swim. There was a belly Jerry flop. Moss wouldn't have stood a chance. Wouldn't have stood a chance. Okay, so what's been happening in the running corner? So when we look at it in the last five years, we've seen it get faster, haven't we? Well, I guess my angle that I was going at here is you don't need an amazing run in Kona to do really, really well. So I sort of looked at, yeah, I looked at the last five years, so we're thinking, you know, more recent times, and I'm just getting to In the means, at least. Yeah, so... Where am I even? So, in the last um, period, so we've only had uh, generally sub 240s. Yeah, there's only two results in the last five years have been sub 240, and that was Langer. Both times. Um, sub 245, there's only been one, which is Bart Arnott's. Um, sub 250s, most years there's only between zero and three. And then quite often, there's uh, between one and three men that do a three-hour-plus marathon and still finish inside the top 10. Wow. So I think we've got these visions. Because we're seeing so many fast run times elsewhere in the world, you're seeing guys consistently running in the 240s. And we have seen like Langer going to sub-240. That is significant. Oh, that's massive. Yeah. But he's a, he's, he's a freak. He's a standout. So last yeah. year, he went 239. You had David McNamee, 245. Everybody else was uh, 250 or above with quite a few of the mid-250s. And ninth and 10th were 304 and 304 and three hours flat. Yeah. So, uh, and then we look at the, the, the previous year. Um, again, you had Langer there at 239. Um, you had a couple of 245s. Uh, the rest are all into the two into the 250s. Uh, and for these guys, they're, they're weapon runners. That's not fast going. The year before was even less. Fredino won with 252. And nobody in the 40s. Nobody in the 40s. And three guys, uh, you had seventh place was 304, eighth place was 306, and ninth place was 306 as well. So, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is if you can have a weapon run over there, um, in the 240s, you can run yourself from a long way back. Well, and Langer is the example of that, isn't he? To being in the top 10, and if you're not too far off, you know, you just don't write anybody off that are, that are sort of five to 10 minutes down coming off the bike if they're, if they're solid runners. And when you think about it, so it's because Kona is such a, a, a game of chess on the bike, isn't it? Mm. You know what I mean? Like a game of chess where people were taking big risks to give themselves a chance of doing well. Mm-hmm. So, because a lot of these guys who aren't running that fast run fast elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of these guys are going, you know, like, you know, like. Terenzo Bazzoni ran 2.53 last year. Yeah. God knows what he's run elsewhere around the world. Would have been closer to 2.40s, what he's yeah, done totally. in uh, yeah. Western Australia, I'd imagine. Um, equally. Uh, Ian Hoffman, three or four. Like, yeah. You know, he's a faster runner than that. Mm. You know, so like, obviously the bike is just way more taxing than Kona. Yeah, so then you've got guys who have said in the past, you know, try to ride a more conservative race and then come through, you know, someone like a Joe Skipper who, you know, again, he's got a weapon run on him. He's run uh, sub 240 in rote. And he is a strong bikeist. And he's a cyclist. very strong cyclist, weaker in the swim. If he does his own race this year, I wonder if he can run himself into the top 10, potentially even the top five. If he could run, you know, a two, 
high 240s, which he's definitely capable of doing, and put in a bike that's matching all the others, yeah, he's going to be five minutes down out of the swim, but could run himself into a really good position. So it, it, it is a fascinating ride over there. The female side is um, is a little bit different. So you've had, in terms of sub three hours, you've only had uh, Marinda Carfrey, who's done it multiple times, and Daniela Reef's done it once. So no other sub three hour runs there. Um, 3.05 to 3. Marinda back in 2014. 2.50. Yeah, insane. And only two guys were faster than her. Mm. Yeah, only two guys. Be- oh, no, sorry, three guys beat her in run time. That yeah. was fin- that was the year she came back in. That was an amazing race. It was. She was that was unbelievable. That might be going down was one of my greatest performances I've ever seen. Yeah. Sub uh, so sub three hour fives for the females. Most years is between zero and three. Uh, in twenty thirteen there was quite a few. You had uh, Kaiser Sali, um, Geiger, Lyles, Crawford. So the weather conditions do play quite a ro- quite a role uh, in terms of how fast people run over there. Uh, also. You know, how big an impact the bike has taken. And equally with the females, as with the guys, you know, there's several that are three hour plus get into the top 10. Three hour 15, there's two between two and four most years uh, run a three hour 15 plus and they are managing to get into the top 10. Elsewhere in the world, you know, those three hour 15 runners can, can often be, you know, three hour flat or even sub three hours. So the run in Kona for the pros is a bloody difficult place to be and they don't go that fast relative to what they can do in more moderate climates and, and ultimately it's because the bike's way more taxing mm. and, and it's the, not because of the course it's because of the racing isn't it yeah and the, the heat but you know you think you, you convert um 106 for for frodo call it 107 for it being a little bit short yeah convert that to a marathon 106 and then they, well, they I, can't, it, I, I remember it, it would have looked oh, it's, 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 two, it's 220 something yeah yeah, yeah totally. uh Totally different race, but you convert that, you're thinking they should be running quicker, but because of the heat, the conditions, as Bevan said, the dynamics on the bike, it's just, it's not that fast to run. The other thing that I was going to do today was, uh, we had an email through from the, the Mount Snail, and his last line of his email was, off the rugby now. Yeah, we're doing that much oh, fun. So marathon, marathon, V dot for Frodo, mm. 220 on the dot. Mm. So, yeah, well underperforming. Yeah. He's a disappointment. <laughs> He's a disappointment. <laughs> so, as we've said several times in the show, Taylor Reed, our good Kiwi fella, he took out the males under 23 race, and it was a fantastic performance. So, three, really, was it? Three of them came, it came down to the run with three of them. There was about 10 or 11 came off the bike, and the, there was a Frenchie there who was, who was definitely the favoured athlete, definitely the highest ranked athlete, and then it was a 2.5k lap, uh, and on the last lap, just beginning of the lap, he just opened a can of whoop ass. Did he really? He just pulled away. And were you and, watching it live? Yeah, and I was like, man, Tom were watching. I was like, come on, mate, come on, mate. And I thought this guy's going to come back at him, but he didn't, and uh, it was awesome. So the mountain snail said um, uh, he's, he was watching with his son, and he says he often laughs about anyone who's anyone in the ITU as a former under twenty three world champion. You could do a retrospective of all the people that, with their palmares uh, and their ITU updates, um, how whether the under twenty three sort of converts to um, success at the elite level. So John did that, and we've looked at the results from the 2012, 2013, and 2014 under 23 World Championships. Um, and let's have a look. So we'll go back to 2012. So Aaron Royal, how's he going? Yeah, he's he's very, so he's doing very well. So top three there were Aaron Royal, Fernando Alaza, and Tom Bishop, and Pierre Lacour and Ryan Fisher. All five of those uh, performing very well. Not necessarily world champions but right up there like Pierre Lacour finished uh, fourth I think maybe 
uh, at the weekend. Um, so they've on, gone on to have very good professional careers. In 2012 in the females, you had non-Stanford won it. Yes. And then uh, Sarissa. Sarissa DeVeers. And then Joanna Brown. All three of those have gone on to have very good careers in terms of non-Stanford for a while. She was untouchable. Uh, she's since faded, but again, a very strong correlation between um, whether or not they had a decent pro career or not. Okay, uh, in 2013, we had Priya Lecorn. Priya Lecorn, just mentioned him, yep. Oh, sorry, was that in the next year then? Yeah, no, no, no it's the same names. Oh. Um, so Pierre Lecour, Fernando Alaza, Declan Wilson, Igor Polianski, and Matthias Schwandler. Um, top top two of those at least. Uh, you know, currently in the top ten in the world consistently, um, and and sort of knocking on the door of the podium. So good predictor there. On the girls' things, we had uh, side of things. We had Charlotte McShane, Ellen mm-hmm. uh, Pinnock, and Amelia Kurtz. So that's that one. Perhaps not. Uh, they're doing okay but not sort of top tenors regularly. Yep. And then, oh, you got 2015, not 14, but that's all right. We'll have a look at 2015. Uh, oh, Jacob Burt, so he's doing all right. Yeah. He's doing really well. Yeah. Uh, David Castro, I'm going to say Fajardo. Yeah. And then Nan Oliverus. Oliverus, yeah. whatever. They've done any good? Uh, not, no, don't think so. And but then Kevin McDowell, but Bert Whistle. And so that, I guess those, those earlier years are sort of saying that those guys have made that transition. Jake Bert Whistle, we might see some of these other ones coming through in the next couple of years. And then in the girls in 2015, we had, just pulling up right now, Audrey Merrill from France. Mm-hmm. Leonie, mm, I don't know the one. Was that? Oh, yeah. And then uh, Melanie Santos. And none of those at this stage are spanking it in terms of uh, top five or top ten performances. So I guess it does take a few a few years for these athletes to transfer across. So I guess Mountain Snail, I guess the answer to your question is the under-23 is generally a pretty good predictor that you're going to be a good level professional. When I have looked through the under-19s, on the other hand, in previous times, that's not such a good predictor. Okay. The under-19s, yes, of course, you, you do definitely do get some of them come across and be very, very good, but I think you've got a much higher um, number that awesome schoolboy, schoolgirl, athletes, talent-driven. Uh, it's over a sprint distance when it comes to the endurance, whether it comes to whether they can really knuckle down and do the big work between 19 and 23, which is, you know, it's that time of life where mm. decisions need to be made, university, or you're going to follow the triathlon dream. Um, yeah, a lot uh, a lot more of them seem to drop out. What, what are your thoughts on Taylor Reid? Because uh, he seems to have the ability to win. Yeah, no, the thing is he's always going to put himself in contention because he's a great swimmer. Uh, so he's always going to be in that front group, which is, that's the first thing you're going to put yourself in contention. So any breakaway, you're onto it. His run, I think he ran 30, I think it was 32 and a half. So he needs to get um, quicker. So, you know, a couple of minutes off being up there. So he's, he's progressing in the right direction. Don't think he's ever going to be a world champion as such. You know, you've got to be a, quite a bit quicker on the run, but certainly could be a top fiver in the right conditions. So exciting times from New Zealand. We've got, we've got he's, he's our biggest prospect. Uh, we had Sam, uh, Sam Ward who finished 13th, I think it was, in the males race. So pretty good. And then we've got a couple other guys. So we've got a good crop coming through. Excited, Bevan, as is the Mountain Snow. Did you watch Did you watch the marathon? I just watched uh, tiny little bits of it, um, the Berlin Marathon. Oh, my God. Did he negative split that? Because I thought I saw him went, go through halfway in, in 101 and then he came home in 201. Maybe he did. I don't know. I, I, I went to bed on Sunday night. And I don't know why. I normally don't check Facebook at night. But I kind of just jumped on Facebook for a second. And someone was stealing it from the end of putting their TV screen. Yes. You know, so I was watching. So I got to watch the last 20 minutes of it. God, he's amazing. 
So this is Chip Kogi, for those of you that don't know, and he set a new world record of 201. By about a minute 15 or something? It was 201.39 or 201.40, and yeah, you're right, it was, it was over a minute improvement. Beautiful, amazing conditions. But he, and he had pacemakers early on, but I didn't see when they he dropped They lost him halfway, off. I think. Yeah, that, yeah. Although he still had one at halfway. I don't know when he pulled away from him. But, jeez, uh, that's fast running. It's t- I think it's two minutes. About 253. 252, 253. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Man, yeah. For a marathon. Yeah. yeah. Like, and he just, he's just... It's so seamless. So there's, there's no effort. No, so he's now the Olympic champion, the world record holder. He's obviously set that fastest time with the, the Nike thingamajig. Um, and he was about 20 seconds off in that, that. He just comes across as a nice, humble sort of guy. Really does. I think he's done tw- 11 marathons, one's 10 of them. Yes, yeah. What, an, what a, just human excellence, eh? You know, when, you watch, when you're watching that, you just, I was just sitting there watching it, just going... Man, this is just such a cool thing. Like, I, I fluked that I saw it, but I'm so glad that I did because it's just, that's very special. To take, a, you, know, a, you know, the marathon's not like triathlon. The marathon's been going for 100 years. You know, like, again in the marathon, when you think world record, actually, let's do this. I'm gonna, I know, we're not, it's so a short I, show this I week. I find so. it interesting when we're, when we're t- discussing this because, you, you know, you were, you were mentioning just before about Marinda Carfrey's amazing run in Kona, and that's never going to get the coverage. You know, how do you compare that to what he's just Kipchoge's just done, you know, because I I find it equally as impressive. Yeah, that one was, but it's freakish. Um, but it's just totally different because it's not we're not really a world sport, whereas marathon running has been around for a long time. It's standardised. You know, it's going to be forty two kilometres. It's not going to be um, forty one point six or whatever. It's going to be certified. Um, but, but how do you compare what Carfrey did versus what what he's just? But done? it's also the reach of our sport. Hmm. Hmm. You know, like. But if you look at the marathon records, so John, if, let's see when John would have been the record holder. <laughs> so, I know, would have been. Yes, you would have. In 1908, 1908. you would have pulled the pen, you would have dominated the dojo. Oh. 255? Yeah. Yeah, and that was by good old Johnny Haynes. Uh, we go right down to what's your fastest marathon? 238 and a half, I think. Oh, John. In 1913, you would have got a second because a good old Hura. Johansson from Sweden was the, the record holder. You would have beaten him, but Harry Green from the UK took it to 238.16. You were shoulder to shoulder. I reckon you would have taken <laughs> Harry. My money's on you. And then I wouldn't have taken that final walk <laughs> stop with about uh, three Ks to go. When do you reckon it went under sub 220? Oh, pretty early in the piece. What year? Uh, what, what year did you just say that I got overtaken? So, so you got overtaken in 1913. 1913. I'm going to say 1939. No, it took till 1953 to go sub 220. Mm. War. You're probably right in some way, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well, how, when do you reckon it went sub 210? Sub 210, I'll say 1979. No, 67. Okay. So then when you think about it, so it's taken, so what's that, 67, so it's... 40, 50 years almost, mm-hmm. 50 years to get eight minutes off. Mm. So for him to take a minute. What about the female side of things? Let's not be sexist pigs. I'm not. I'm, I'm so, we saw us nesting here. I'm not, okay. I'm not being a sexist pig. Um, but if, so then we go from so 1981. So basically, yeah, man, he's a freak. So Gabriel Salesi. Um, he, he knocked it off a few times. We had three world records in the 203s, 
one in the tour two, but now it's tour one. Talk. Uh, so on, on an Ironman perspective, so bring bring it back to Ironman. The first female ran five hours ten for the um, Hawaii Ironman, and then Bevan, when do you think the first sub four hour marathon was done by a female? I'm gonna say I'm gonna say early. I'm gonna say eighty four, eighty two. Okay, Kathleen yep. McCartney went three forty six. Yep, and then when do you think that it got? Then it went down to 3.22, started dropping pretty rapidly. And I want to see when the first sub three hour was. I think that would have been fairly recent. Is this times. females? Yeah, no, that females. would have been like, that would have been really. Aaron Baker went 3.11 in uh, 87. But I think it's probably, Chrissy was probably almost the first. Or was it Rennie? To go, you might be right. Yeah, I think it might be Rennie. It was the first to go sub three. Well, Newby Fraser was 3.05 in 1992. Radcliffe was was fast, but she didn't go sub three, did she? Radcliffe, she I mean, went sorry, pretty um, fast. No, um, uh, Badman. Badman, no, I don't think she would have ever gone sub three. No. Okay, she well, three four. She won with a three fourteen. Well, that wouldn't happen nowadays. Nineteen ninety eight. That's not going to happen nowadays. There's no way. Um, okay, so females in the marathon. There we go. Okay, no, there we go. you wouldn't have got it. You would not have got it. 1999, Laurie Bowden went 2.59.16. Wow. Beat Karen Smyers by seven minutes. Nice work. Okay, so then we look at females. Do you know a New Zealanders had the world record in the marathon for females? Uh, Alison Rowe, maybe? Oh, well, did I tell you about the massage therapist? Yes, I? you did. Yep. Uh, no, Mildred Sampson had it in... Good old Mildred. Yeah, in 1964. <laughs> okay, when you reckon when when the, the three-hour marathon for the females... What was that one there that you just that said? Nineteen sixty-four. What and was, she was the time? Three nineteen. Oh, I'd go nineteen seventy. Oh, not bad. Seventy-one. Yeah. Uh, what about sub two thirty for a female? I think that took a bit longer. I'm going to go eighty-one. Seventy-nine. Pretty close. Yeah. What about sub two twenty? I reckon that's more recent times. I'm going to say 98. Sub 220, 2001. What's interesting here, John, is they, because they have the mixed sex and women only. So for mixed sex. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So because Paula Radford did a 215, 25. She was a freak, wasn't she? It was awesome. Especially with someone with such crappy. Tech, not a crappy technique, but head movement and all bobbling all over the place. She was amazing, man, because she basically had the wood record at 217. But then. Doesn't that still stand? No. So basically, mix six, she has um, 215.25, but that's not counted now as the world record. Yeah. Because but that's it, still the fastest time. It is it? the fastest, yes. Mm. Um, and she has the second fastest at two. And woman only. She has the fastest of two seventeen forty two second fastest, but then Mary. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to do a good, I'm going to do an apple on this one, John. Here we go. Here's, here's what Apple says. Okay, <laughs> doesn't help you much. Quite a knee, maybe. Uh, she did a seventeen oh one, so she's currently the world record holder. In a woman only race, mm. so Paula did go faster in a mixed six race, which makes sense because you got. Let's not go into that debate. <laughs> you're, not, you're not happy with that debate? No, I, 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 yeah, I, I get what pure marathon runners say, but I still think if it was a drafting bike race, totally different story. And I know you do get sucked along by the guys uh, a little I, bit. There's an advantage. Sorry? Oh, there's definitely an advantage. I don't know. 
I still, I don't know. It'll be nice when that record gets beaten, mm. which will happen eventually. Mm. Okay, last question. He went, so we've got a minute 39 to lose. Mm. How long do you reckon before it's up to? I don't know. It's take, I think it'll take a while. You didn't need another freak to come along. I reckon the next 15 years, 20 years. Okay. Yeah, I reckon. If you look at kind of the trajectory moving forward, um, but still, amazing. Awesome running. John, um, question. Question. Oh, questions and answers. So I'm, I'm looking through the show notes this morning and I say, happy 30th birthday. And I say, what 30th birthday? So then I look at the date of the email, 8th of the 14th, Oh, 07. Oh, 07. <laughs> I, was, I, was, uh, I was struggling for a bit of content this week and I, so I had a few documents in there and I was trying to clear out the rubbish and just, just do a few things Do you know out. what's really funny, John? On my 30th birthday, I wore this T-shirt. Really? No no lies. Paul and Yubi Fraser? No. A&F. Oh, look, that looks like a P. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, it looks like a P. I, thought I wore this T-shirt on my 30th birthday because that's kind of when Joe and I started kind of, you know, yeah. And uh, there's a picture of a Joe and I on my 30th birthday. Yeah. So I, I did subconsciously, and I never wear this T-shirt. Yeah. Like I haven't worn this T-shirt in ages, and I just picked it out. I went deep into my T-shirt drawer today. Yeah. Pulled out this T-shirt. It's the sign. So the reason this came up is I had one one page that's just in my filing system that had an email on it. So I'll just see what that is. I don't know if I've answered that, but. If it's still there, maybe I haven't. Ten years ago, who's this to a show from ten years ago? Peter Daddy Death Tinholt. Oh, don't even Daddy know Death. if he still listens, but he starts off Happy thirtieth birthday to Bevan. <laughs> I know I'm uh, still a little bit early, but hey, better early than late. Well, you're ten years late, mate. Or eleven years late. Better late than never, I say. Uh, yeah, a couple of questions, and I think okay, I'll, still I'll read it for you. Okay, I just watched Iron Man France on ESPN and noticed a large number of the competitors. Was standing road bars and clip on tri bars. The course was quite hilly, and I'm quite and I'm curious if this is why the athletes don't have proper tri time trial setup. I ride on road bars with clip on tri bars, and I wonder if there's any benefit to going TT bars for an Ironman New Zealand. Your thoughts? I note from various photos you guys have posted you stand up bars with clip on tri bars. Let's be honest, this is very much a question that's dead. No, it's not. Uh, it is for doing, say, like an Ironman New Zealand course. Um, so if you're doing a fairly flat to rolling Ironman, you're definitely on a TT bike with, with TT yeah. rig. And, and it's Go to Kona, everyone's on TT. Absolutely. But he was watching Ironman France. And so I think it's really important when you're watching this is they'll, they'll often be showing the pros and probably won't show that much of the age groupers. And so what you're going to see with a number of pros when they're doing races like Ironman France, perhaps when they're doing Embraer Man uh, and other very, very hilly courses, they'll be on their TT bikes. And so then you probably think, oh, I should be on my TT bike as well. But you shouldn't if you're doing a course like that. You should be on a road bike with clip-on bars. And the reason a lot of the pros are on their TT bikes is largely because they're travelling and they're only going to have one bike with them. If they had the opportunity, they would definitely be, uh, most, almost all of them would be on a road bike. Now the reason for that is um, if you, it's as much for going downhill as it is for going uphill. So you can get in a better position, you can produce better power when you're on a, on a, a road bike going up. But probably more importantly is when you're coming down those long climbs, you, know, you might be descending for, for 20 potentially longer minutes on, say, coming down a major, major coal. Is it's way, way harder to descend on a TT bike. It doesn't feel safe either, it's does not it? not safe. No. You can't stop as quickly, and it's just not that comfortable. It right at the front. You, yeah. you feel you want to slip off. And so I guess, that's, I guess that, that would be my, my answer there on a, on a really hilly course, um, being on a road bike. Nice would be kind of borderline because the climbs are... Uh, are not that steep, but if you're doing Embra Man or any of these extreme races, you're definitely better off on a um, on a road bike with clip-ons. 
Question number two. As a first-time Ironman competitor who is doing a few Olympic and half-distance tries, what is the thoughts for someone like myself in getting carbon wheels? I've heard a previous podcast where I think Gordo, Gordo, there's a name from the past, mm. uh, suggested a power meter was probably a better investment than carbon wheels. I am looking at getting some carbon wheels and would like your thoughts on what I should look for, a clincher, tubular, size. Uh, what is the benefit? Will carbon wheels suit I'm New Zealand roads due to the heavy, hard chip? I just thought that was another really interesting question because there's two really different sides of the, the question. If you are on a budget, say you've got a thousand bucks to send or 1200 bucks or whatever it is to get a, a power meter or carbon wheels, what do you do? That's okay, it. You've, you've only I'm, got that much. I'm going to say, ooh, it's a hard one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say carbon wheels. I'm probably going to go power meter unless you've got real munter, real crappy, crappy uh, training wheels. Because so what Bevan's Bevan's gone for the buying the speed so yeah. you're going to get several yeah. minutes gain from having car you're buying and you're going for making better decisions in the race and in more in your training so you can, oh, okay, you can yeah. only get that gain on race day so you get a couple of minutes so the trade off is am I going to get more than a couple of minutes gain by using a power meter in my training and on race day and I think providing you have a coach that's going to help you get yourself established if you're not a geek and going to read up heaps and heaps of stuff then I think the power meter is going to be more valuable. If you're somebody that is not coached and you don't follow a structured training program, then probably the answer Bevan gave might be a little better because you know, so many people out there have gone and bought a power meter. They ride with it. Don't use it. Don't use it. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. My power today was 200 watts or my power today was 150 watts. In that case, the wheel is going to be better. But I think it's just it's an interesting question. If you if you are on a really limited budget, what do you do? And you've got to factor a few things yeah, into it. Yeah, I, I was purely thinking race day. I think you're right that mm. training tool-wise, you're going to train better if you have a power meter. As long as you're the person you who's going to do the work. Yeah, yeah. No, I, know, I still know lots of people who've got power meters. They're absolutely zero value. Same thing applies to heart rate monitors. If you wear a heart rate monitor, most of the time people just wear it. And oh, well, don't, I, don't, one of our runners come up to us here on the weekend and she's doing the first half marathon. It's a big thing for her and she's doing really well. She's got an Apple Watch. It does, it's got everything she needs. She goes, oh, I want to get a really expensive Garmin. I'm like, you, you really don't need it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And he's like, yeah, but it's got one function, you know, and it's like, save you money. Your, your, your Apple Watch is fine for, you know, like mm. people do. But I do think it depends on the person. Like, I was never much of a geek with numbers when mm-hmm. I was training. Although nowadays, if I do train for a running race, I definitely am a lot more geeky with numbers. So maybe I would be with a power meter. Um, but if you are that person who's right geek, it's a great investment, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And if you've got a coach, for, from, a, from a coaching perspective, it, helps them make uh, better decisions. it can help hugely in terms of doing the right training, giving your coach the actual right feedback. Um, but if, you, if you're just going to completely ignore it, then you go the uh, buying a bit of speed. Okay, John. We're going to talk about a patron. So if you want to become a patron on the show, go www.imtalk.me. It's all very obvious on our website. Uh, And the patrons support us doing this each week, which is really important. But also, they um, get to go on a draw to one trip to Dakota. And you've got a bit of a laugh here, John. I've got this. I've actually got my assignment that I'm handing in today. Uh, And the word, word, and I still had it up from last night. The word limit was 3,000 words. I had 2,998. Oh, wow. Right. You're still doing your study. Sorry? Yeah, I'm sort of in my study. I just did an assignment on irritable bowel syndrome. Ooh, good times. So, we've got a new patron, Bevan. Good old Tom Bland, and he's got here. Um, thanks, Bevan, for always appreciate your... Oh, I'm always good at responding to emails, which is good. Uh, sign up for a patron by internet banking, and by many do this for Yonks, but it, you prompted me to do it. So, thank you very much. He I really enjoyed the interview last week with... Um, yep. Brian guy. Rose. Yep. 
Uh, I live in Kapiti Coast, originally from England, but moved to New Zealand in 2006. Great decision. I uh, lived in Tikipo, oh, sorry, Taupo, and then Kapiti. Uh, I've done Ironman New Zealand twice, Ironman Wales once, and a whole heap of halves and shorter races. I reckon my favourite events have ever been have been the Tyronga Triathlon and Ironman Wales. It's another one tick for Wales. People love Wales. Yeah. Um, I'm the club coach at the Kapiti Running and Tri Club and do a bit of private coaching through FSA Coaching, working with triathletes and also junior cross-country runners. I love my winter cross-country. Even managed a bronze medal at the horrific mud this year's Cross-country nationals, good effort getting a bloody bronze medal at the New Zealand. This one that Swanee Noe had the picture of, and yeah. it was it was unsafe. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. I'm married with three primary school age kids who sometimes enjoy the junior triathlons I organise. And how does that one? Why can I over the summer? Love listening to the show and your uh, my daily commute to the beach. Uh, keep up the awesome work. Nice work, Tom. Tom. Very impressive. You. Good contributor to your community up there. Yeah, that's Plus, cool, you're kicking it? some butt in your racing, which is always impressive to see. And uh, Rarotonga Triathlon, for people who haven't heard of that one before, um, you've probably heard of Rarotonga. Oh, I thought the Rotorua. Sorry, I read that wrong. No, Rarotonga. Rarotonga. Yep. So over there, they, they kind of often do a bit of a fit. Well, they do a race every year. And it's I think been going for years, isn't it? Yeah, it's been going around. It has. So you, you swim, uh, obviously, and then you bike a lap of the island, which I don't think is exactly 40 kilometres, but I think it's maybe 42, and then you, you run 10K. So it's always cool to do those events where you're actually circumnavigating something or sort of going from point to point, uh, and it's a nice holiday joint, Easy for the, um, pretty easy for the family, for Kiwis, pretty easy to get there. Uh, I remember when we went to Rarotonga, we took over a little chilli bin of food and stuff, and uh, it's good times. Oh, so, did you race it? Didn't do it. We just went there for a for a little oh, holiday. Okay. Did you like Rotorua? Yeah, it's good. I mean, um, I, I always come back to. I'd rather go to Kaiteriteri any day of the week than uh, the Pacific Islands. Just a lot easier for us because we've got a place up there. But um, Rotorua is good. I've never done it on holiday. I once went to Tonga and I was a celebrity. Nice. Do you know that story? Uh, I do. Yeah. I Oh, tell us your story once we've come up with a nickname for Tom Blair. I've got the nickname. I've got the nickname. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It comes after my story. So, <laughs> John's face was like, his face told me there's no way he knows the story. <laughs> and then the years popped out of his mouth. I went for Les Mills. It was my first ever Les Mills trip. And, and Tonga were going to have a national health week. Mm-hmm. So, we turn up to Tonga. And we didn't know what we were turning up to. Turn up to Tonga. Plane comes out. We arrive. The whole bloody country's there, John. Nice. Like, no lies. Thousands of people turn up. Come in, the national news. We're the first thing on the national news. Yeah. got laser. We turn up this national stadium, which is, think of a kind of a, a the showgrounds. Yeah. Back in the day. Showgrounds back in the day. Kind of like that. Kind of a pretty budget kind of stadium. Every night we filled out the national stadium and people did fitness and stuff with us. It was unbelievable. It was one of my career highlights, actually. And so I was a celebrity in Tonga. Okay, so Tom Bland. He's not bland. Well, that's that's what I thought. Yeah. You can't go bland. No. So then I went on to the old thesaurus, John. Yes. And I put him bland. Yes. And then I went for the opposite of bland. Good. And uh, the distinctive. Good. The distinctive Tom Bland. Oh, the distinctive. Yes. That's what I like. The, the distinctive... Tom Bland, that's nice. what it says. So everyone who's in this community, and obviously if you're in the Kapiti Coast, uh, you can, you'll probably listen to the show because you're in our world. Uh, so when you go up to school, the distinctive, and from now onwards, coach distinctive. It's good to get into it. Yep, you know that? Nice work. Yep, there you go. Tom, oh, the, the distinctive. 
Tom Bland. There we go. If you want to become a patron, get a great nickname like that one there. Go to www.talk.me. I've seen you've got a new wrap-up section here. I have. Yep. So the wrap-up section is my job. If you want to email a show, go to www.iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to become a patron, just go to the Patreon. Oh, you haven't done... No, we need to add sponsors. Okay. I, uh, sorry, I, I can add that right now, but... Oh, wait a second, and you'll see... I have to add it to the template, Bevan. Don't yeah. mess with my routines. Oh, where's your template? Okay, well, sponsor. So do I always go, sponsors? Okay. So Extreme spon- Your lactic buffer? Our patrons? Uh, legends? That's it. That's about <laughs> it. Uh, and then I got email shows, so we know that. If you want to become a patron, go to I'm talk to me. For coaching, here we go, this is new. For yeah. coaching, contact Joe via... Coach. Joe, don't catch contact Joe. She'll get in contact with you. Coach John, because when I email Joe, your name always pops up because I go J O, it's either John Newsom or Joe. Right. So I get a little bit confused. But yeah. if you want to get don't some coaching. Don't go sending me anything, I don't know. Yeah, been a few photos. <laughs> no. Uh, Coach John, no, John, CoachJohnNewsom.com if you want to get some coaching from me, if you want to listen to my podcast. And actually, I got some really cool feedback from a few of you listeners from my one release at the end of last week's show. I did a really good one this week, actually, on something called The Healthy High Performer, which is something that I really believe in. So if you want to listen to my show, I released it yesterday. Go to BevanJamesIsles.com. And if you want to send us some content, like Age Group of the Week, cool websites, other feedback, again, email it to me. John. Your goss. My goss. I'm off to school camp tomorrow, Bevan. Pack it up. Yeah. Going off to school camp. Living for Springs. Three days. Living Springs. Going to be good times. I think the weather's You're okay. You're getting no sleep for the next three days. Oh, no. The kid's pretty good. They, yeah, the, whatever. The teachers lay down the law and they go to bed. They have to go to bed at eight o'clock. Eight o'clock? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're, out, they're out of it by, uh, there's no getting up by nine. No, they really, it's When you're on school camp, John, did you go to bed by nine? Well, they're in bed anyway. No, no, we laid down the law last year. I'm a, I'm a returnee. How so old's Tommy? Tom's 11. So he's going, going into girls', girls rooms becomes a Not of soon. interest yet. Not remotely of interest. Mm, I reckon next year, you're screwed on school camp. Yeah. Next so year. it's going to be a good time. So we've got to get five days' work done two days because we head off tomorrow. So it's all good. I remember one school camp. I went on school camp and I, and I liked the ladies as a young boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a girl who I really liked a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to sneak into I, all my leading into the camp. All I cared about was because I get a pass from this girl on the camp. Mm-hmm. It was my number one objective. And I even, you know, I worked out the huts because we went to Hamner. Yeah. had the huts yeah. in Hamner. So I kind of, you know, I kind of worked out, okay, well, what I'll do because the parents will stay up and have a few drinks. And then Can't do that anymore. That's really disappointing. You don't have to drink. I'm very specific about that. Oh, really? Yeah. It's disappointing. Bloody PC world. Because <laughs> the parents used to get trolled. Oh, yeah. And uh, so the parents would get drunk. So there was a certain time. After 11, mm-hmm. you knew you were safe. So I had this all strategy because I was, me and her name was Nick. Me and Nick. Nick Bedsley. They ended up pushing her a few times eventually, but not that mm-hmm. time. First day of the camp, I tripped and hurt my neck. So I put this whole camp. I couldn't do anything. Oh, no. I didn't get a pash. Broke my heart, John. So that's going to be good times. Uh, getting back into the biking this week, which has been which has been nice. Went out for a ride with the Holy Hammer on Sunday morning, starting in the dark. Didn't get attacked by any magpies. That was the bonus of the morning. Uh, and yeah, I'm sure the Holy Hammer took it easy. Yeah, the Holy Hammer, yeah. He was having to put out a few more watts than me on the uphills. Put it that way. What is that? Holding it up too much weight? You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Holy Hammer. So it's good times and... Just a fantastic weekend of weather and sport. Oh, it was unbelievable, and, wasn't it? And everything. It was a disappointing sport, but... Yeah, a bit of disappointment there. Oh, did you watch the netball? I did not watch the netball. <laughs> the netball? We got <laughs> pants pulled down by the yeah. bombs? 
Played that palms. was a proper pants pulling down. That was. And then the rugby, we lost the rugby. Mm-hmm. And then what else? There was another the rowing. Yeah, I didn't do well there. <laughs> Stop <laughs> bringing me down, Bevan. <laughs> Scott Dixon, but IndyCar champion. Yeah, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love IndyCar. Uh, any other gossip? That's it, Bevan. What's happening in your world? Wait a second. What are the activities on the camp? They, that's the thing they, The reason they go to sleep Is because They're you slamming in Everything they, They're going Orienteering They're doing Just everything you can imagine That looks like A fantastic setup. They've got a luge They've got rock climbing They've just got They're just going all day So they're pretty tired um, What about your own training In those three days? I'll go for a little run uh, And that's about it They have got a swimming pool there So maybe I'll get it Sneak in it's a swim It's an indoor pool too It is yeah, I remember used to be really hot hmm. Yeah So There you go my gosh, my mum turned 60. Mm-hmm. How old your mum? Considerably older than that. <laughs> yeah. My mum's really young. So we went around to the family, had an Indian dinner. Mm-hmm. Fa- family, family dinner. My family's quite crazy, John, so we're not shy. So it became a bit of a party. Yeah. And there was no alcohol involved here. That's what you could do. You could offer a yeah. party on your yeah. no drinking night. Um, everyone's up and dancing. Nice. It wasn't a big party. It was about 12 of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a what dancing yeah. in the lounge. It was, but it was really quite cool because the next day, Boy, we have a Facebook family page. You have a Facebook family page? No. Why don't you do that? Okay, we should do. Yeah, because it's, yeah. and Joe's one has one, they call it the blood. Mm-hmm. I'm in the blood, and okay. I'm not even blood. So yeah. there you go, I feel quite privileged. Um, and we put photos and videos up of the night, which was quite entertaining. But mum said it was the best birthday I could ever hope for. So it was quite, Great. It was quite special. Um, what else is happening? Looking forward to going to Kona. Mm-hmm. How far was that? Three weeks today, we depart. Four weeks from last weekend, I think, till race day. And then I'm going to Amsterdam and LA on the way home. So I'm looking, oh no, a couple of weeks after that. Um, anything else, John? Anything else exciting in my life right now? No. What about this weekend? Catch up with some friends? Mm-hmm. Nice school camp. Nice school camp. That's fun times. Yeah. Yep. Oh. Fun, times. fun times. What was your favourite school camp memory? Um, oh, okay, I've got a good school camp memory Similar to yours We were on Quail Island Which is out in the, in the middle of the Girl. Well the, the weather turned south And we're, well, this is the day When you, you can't, you're camping Not not necessarily in, like, they, they get bloody gold star treatment These days oh. There's nice lodges They're getting three nice meals Cooked for them every day It's all Back in the old on. days We bivouacked one night Yeah, yeah <laughs> Bivouacking And we were camping And then um, probably similar to you There was A uh, storm came in all the tents were gonna. It was gonna be get KO'd completely, and we all had to sleep inside a hall. There was a little bit of rolling inside the hall. What was the name? Sorry. What was the name? No, I'm not going there, Bevan. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> really? Do I know it? No. Oh. Yeah. Well, I named Nick Beasley. Yeah. Nick Beasley. I love Nick Beasley. But a passion, Nick. Um, my worst one. My my funny story is school camp. Maybe mm. being on the same camp, mm. going for a long walk, need to do number two, Sean. Oh, yeah. And uh, I didn't poo myself, mm. but what? You go on. I've got a, you're bringing back a very bad memory <laughs> from a program I watched at the weekend. It still goes, sends shivers down my spine. It was the first time I think I ever pooed outside and saw how a poo would just pile on itself. Because okay. you, know, <laughs> you know, when you're in a toilet. High quality content this week. It's more logs in the yeah. toilet. Or unless you really got. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was the first time in my life, right? And I was like, wow, I never thought of it like that. I was like, there was a mound. But it was not good because I, I basically just had, had to just run in, you know, like it was last minute option. Mm. And 
leaves just don't do a good job. So I, there was an aura around me for the rest of the walk. Oh and I knew my aura was not a good aura. Oh. So I basically was Nigel no mates 40 meters back from the rest of the pack for the rest of the day. Squelching along. And what was your memory? I know I just watched a program at the weekend. It's called uh, Cuckoo. There's a series on, oh. on Netflix. You're a Netflix king, aren't you? <laughs> and we don't watch anything else now. But there was a young fella and he was he was going to lose his virginity and this girl was sort of playing <laughs> on and, and they got, ended up going into a spa. But he had some really dodgy food, like <laughs> proper dodgy. And and he's, he, he vomits. She, she doesn't see him vomiting. He managed to get a little sneaky vomit out there. Uh, but they're sitting in the bath and all of a sudden the mother comes in and he's like, he's it's about to come out and it comes out the other end. They're both oh, sitting in this no. big high bar. It's, it still gives me shivers. It's just disgusting. Well, Rayleigh <laughs> used to work at the pool. Rallying when she was studying, she'd work at the pool and most horrible job of all time being a bloody um, lifeguard at a pool. Yeah. But pretty much every day someone would poo themselves. Oh, just shut up. Right. Every, rust. Especially especially at Pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> Except on a Tuesday and Friday. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Iron Rust. I mean, no. Train hard. Train hard. Kia kaha.